Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, Mike, our podcast has always been titled Ironically. Mm. Live, Laugh, Leafs. We haven't been doing much living. Zero laughing. We've leaped, I guess, a little bit. But this is the most ironic it's ever been because this is the darkest day in Leaf Nation since we launched our podcast. It wasn't very long ago, actually. But certainly yeah, this is the darkest moment. Moore Trevor Moore left on our first episode, okay? That was personally yeah. the darkest day for the Leafs, for me. Yeah, I mean, it did bring back Jack Campbell, but that was a dark day. That was the perfect way to, to launch this thing because, I mean, it's always going to be dark, right? There's no getting out of this hole. And I think tonight proved it, did it not? Yeah, I was eight years old the last time the Leafs won a playoff series. Um, I'm 24 years old now. Um, this is extremely uh, disappointing um, and yet inevitable. Did you, I mean, did you really think that this was going to be any different? That's, that's what it keeps coming back to for me is – even before this game, I think the outcome for them to win, for them to pull through when it mattered, that would have been a bigger surprise than what happened tonight. Now, what happened tonight, like the actual outcome of getting shut out when your team is so top-loaded like the Leafs are, that just shocked me. There's so many moving parts with, with this, uh, this loss, too, that we'll get into. And this isn't a sense of, you know, a small sample size or no muzzin. Like, there were flaws with this team all year that we talked about ad nauseum. It was, you know, it, it, was, it was the constant thing we talked about every single night. And they all came back to kind of bite them at once, right when, it, right when you needed, uh, needed them not to the most. And so really when we were in the middle of the dog days of the season, we were talking about you and I, you know, okay, like they're getting by, but can they sustain, you know, a playoff round or, or a playoff series with these things, you know, with Cody Cece in the top four, you know, with, uh, you know, the, the lack of depth scoring, yada, yada, yada. And we kept, and, and that, that was the biggest question for us. And we just got, it, it just got proven that no, they cannot do that. No, these flaws are insurmountable. No, there, there are, like, this is a rotten roster at its core. And I honestly, like, there, this is very, I, the path forward is, is murky at this point. Okay, I promise I'll let you get everything that you, you need to get off your chest, off your chest. Uh, but we have to set the scene a little bit. We're going to do about 20 minutes here, immediate reaction on the game, because eventually, Someone's going to walk up those stairs and kick me out of Scotiabank Arena for the second time in the series, and at least the last time in a Leafs postgame podcast. We're going to continue to do some podcasts around what happens inside this building and inside uh, Rogers Place in Edmonton, uh, but it won't involve any Leaf games because it, the season is over. One of the craziest, weirdest, most disappointing seasons in Leaf history it is now over. Five games, defeat, in a play-in qualification series against the Columbus Blue Jackets. They lose 3 nothing. They go through long stretches without scoring a goal. 
And it ends with, well, it actually bookended with Jonas Corposalo shutting out the Maple Leafs. So we know what happened. It was another offensive output. We know what happened in the series, rather. But what happened in this game? Why were they unable to break through? Look, they, they had so many chances. This is, but it, it all comes down to, like, it, we can say, you know, oh, the expected goals are crazy. The Leafs dominated this game. They outshot the, they outshot the Blue Jackets uh, at a crazy ratio. But it doesn't matter. Like, it, like, expected goals in an elimination game don't matter if they're not real goals. They don't go in the net. Tavares, yeah, he, he had a, he had a, I thought he had a good game, you know. He hit the post on the most open net I think I've ever seen in my entire life. But it didn't go in the net, and it doesn't matter. And he's going home now, again. You know, Frederick Anderson, he had a, the numbers at the end of the series will show that, yes, he had a good series. His save percentage entering the game was like 941. That's great. You tell a Leaf fan before that, you know, Frederick Anderson's save percentage is going to be 941 in this series, you're going to be doing backflips. But, but at the end of the day, when it mattered the most, he let in a garbage goal, and, you know, it was the backbreaker. So there's, like – they can't break through because these moments come to them. And, and it's, not a, it's not a sense of being clutch. It's not a sense of, you know, intangibles. These moments come to them. And I don't know what happens, but they just, but just, I don't know. Like, it's, it's luck. It's, it's holding the stick too hard. It's something. But these moments happen, and the Leafs just do not break through. They cannot get through. And good teams, very clearly, it's the most obvious statement in the world, good teams win elimination games. But good teams in crucial crunch moments they break through. Now, the, the positive to this is that, you know, you've seen big, you know, dynasty teams, like especially the, the, the Washington Capitals get so close and break through. But they at least got to the second round in their years of, of disappointment. This is now the fourth straight disappointing first round exit and third straight, you know, I would say third straight first round exit that they should have gone, they should have, have won at least. Where do they go from here? What happens? I don't, I, I, like, I don't know. I'm not even... Like, I think you probably expected me to come in here and, like, flip this new desk when I moved into my place today and, and break the screen and, and give you some, some nice viral content. What did, I expected this. I, you, can't, you can't be upset with something with an outcome that you expected. It's the arrest of development of, you know, I expected uh, – I don't know what I expected. When, and it – I don't know. I, like, words are coming <laughs> up for me right now. You, you seem really sad. I am. I am sad. I'm, this okay, is, I, I... Sad boy hours. It's 11.24 p.m. on a Sunday night. Oh, and it's going to get later. Uh, you, you mentioned stuff, big picture items. We're going to get to those, I promise. I, I keep saying that. But I, I, we do have to talk about what's going on, right, what happened tonight. And you said you didn't want to mention expected goals, but i got to bring it up at least for a second. The expected goals of the second line in almost 10 minutes at 5-on-5 five five from Hyman, Nylander, and Kapanen, 0.18. That's where they went wrong in this game. Now, we talked about whether or not they were going to start the nuclear line, and I convinced you that that was the right move. Apparently, it was not the right move because, obviously, they didn't score. They didn't have the combination today um, that was going to you know, work for them offensively. But that line tonight, their second line, Nylander, Captain, and Hyman, was absolutely horrendous. Now, Keith eventually acknowledged that and went to back to a more traditional mixing of the top six in the third period, but it was too little too late at that point. Once the Blue Jackets got up one nothing, they just slid back into their very comfortable lead-protecting system, and they dominated. They didn't dominate the game, but from their standards, what they like to do, what they're comfortable with, that was their version of dominance because they can do that better than a lot of teams. I'm not going to say every, every team, but that's where, that's where John Tortorella makes his money. That's how he gets consecutive Jack Adams nominations. That's how he does it. He, he, he organizes a structure 
that is very, very effective when protecting a lead. And that's what happens that you had one line that was dangerous. They weren't, they weren't terrific the entire time, Matthews, Marner, and, Tra- and Tavares. It was like one off, one on in terms of shifts that were effective. But it dropped off significant, not even significantly. It just dro- dropped off completely from that point on because Nylander, Kapanen, and Hyman did nothing. Now, the other thing that happened in terms of lineup, which Keith did talk oh, about yeah. after the game, was the fact that Andreas Janssen, who hadn't played a game or a scrimmage or anything, he's practiced with the team a little bit, but didn't do – maybe the least put eight weeks together of training camp. Andreas Janssen wasn't involved really in any of it, and he was inserted in the lineup over Nick Robertson, who, while you know, not a world beater by any means and had, had his moments but had bad moments in the series as well, was taken out of the lineup for a guy who was, couldn't be more cold, could not be more cold coming into this game, hadn't played, had surgery. So no games in six months, surgery, elimination game five, and Janssen was as invisible as you could pretty much expect. No? Absolutely. No, like I, I'm 100% on board. I thought that the moment that that was announced, I thought that that was the dumbest move you could have made. Not only like Robertson was one of the Leafs' best forwards this series. Yes, his, he, he had his moment. He had, you know, difficult moments. He's 18 years old. But let's like, we're gonna, we talk about moments, right? We talk about moments in these elimination games that are so important that the Leafs struggle in. And yes, one of the close calls was Janssen gets a pass, a beautiful pass in the slot, and Corpusalo just gets and, and kind of wires it right, right into, at the middle of the net. And Corpusalo just gets his arm up and, and blocks it. And the Leafs are still down one nothing. I like. I know this is a kind of a folly of an argument to make because you know it's all hypothetical. But I I would put money. I would and I, w- I would put my life savings on the fact that Nick Robertson scores that goal because Nick Robertson's release is ridiculous. And to put a guy like you said who hasn't, like, also, why keep the fourth, like, you scratched Pierre Engvall to start the series. So I would have thought that he would be the, the you know, the go-to guy to come out. But even, even taking a guy like Kyle Clifford out of the lineup, did you even notice Kyle Clifford playing tonight? No, like, not good enough. Yeah, keep, oh, no, we're going to keep Kyle Clifford in for, phys- for physicality. You had a guy in Zach Wierenski who is essentially being held together with scotch tape. And your tough guy, quote unquote, tough guy, isn't like the whole time I was watching the game with someone and, and, and the whole time they were like, you should be like, Cal Clifford should, his only job should be to hit Zach Wierenski. He It should be to grind that player into the ground as legally as possible, grind that player into the ground. And because he's clearly being held together by nothing. He's, and he's one of their most important players. And if you look at the stats, the, the Blue Jackets without Wierenski in the lineup are a sub 500 team. So it's, it just made no sense to, to put a guy who already wasn't having a good season before he was injured into the lineup after he was cold, six months cold. And not only that, but take, but take a, a promising young dynamic offensive player who completely reshaped the, the configuration of your third line out of the lineup and keep in guys who had one job and inevitably did, and I know it's hindsight, but inevitably did not accomplish or do anything towards that job it just made no sense and I'm a big Keith fan I think he's been I think he's done a great job but this the decisions that he made not only by putting Marincin in the lineup and keeping him there but also by uh, by doing everything we just talked about this was not in terms of per, I think he did a great job in-game adjustments but I think from an actual personnel putting the line together standpoint I think this was a, this was a you know a, a failure on his part Okay, I'm watching the chat here. We got a lot of debate about Mitch Marner's future. But, again, we're going to get to that in the second half. 
I think there's two more items we got to get to in terms of the actual game. The first being Freddie Anderson. Now, we talked about the fact that he could either be the best goalie in the series by the end of it or the third best goalie in the series by the end of it. And while, again, he wasn't brutal, and you have already mentioned his, uh, his very sparkling save percentage in this series, uh, he was not good enough. He was second best tonight. He was third best in the series. And he was responsible, half responsible, for a moment that completely broke Toronto's back. I mean, they had a chance to get back into this game, for sure. I mean, they just erased a three-goal deficit two nights ago in under four minutes. So as long as they were with one, with one this game was still there for the taking. Uh, but when he led in a goal, which looked eer- eerily similar to a goal he, he gave up against Boston in previous disappointments, uh, that was it. That was curtains. It was actually curtains this time. And it was Liam Foody from a bad angle. Now, there's other things that were going on there. And, but I don't want to deflect here because I know you will not let me deflect in this moment because this one was on Anderson. It was a terrible line change. It was hesitation from Marincin. But it was, a, it was a terrible goal to give up in that moment. And I feel bad for Anderson because he deserved better in the series. He deserved better than having to be perfect in every single game in order for the Maple Leafs to win. Because that's really how it went. The Leafs had so many outages from an offensive standpoint. And you know it's bad when the coach notes the five-on-five save percentage after the series in his press conference. I think he mentioned that it was 2% at five-on-five. But the fact that the coach has to do that and has to make that explanation for why his team lost, that's not why they lost. I mean, obviously, if it was a better number, they probably would have had a better chance in the series. But it was, it was not because they were unlucky. They were beaten in this series. They should have lost in four games. They were beaten in this series. And it wasn't because of Anderson, but it was over because Anderson made a st- mistake in the third period. Yeah, no, it, we're not going to blame Frederick Anderson for this series or loss. He did play well. But again, as we've said many times, Frederick Anderson was the second or third best goaltender in the series. And that just isn't good enough. And that has been the case in every single playoff series he suited up for in a Toronto Maple Leafs uniform. And at a certain point, you need to look in the mirror, you need to ask yourself the question, can I go into a playoff series of Frederick Anderson net and feel confident that we'll win? And at this point, I don't. And the amount of leeway, the amount of, of, of rope, of leash, however the, the analogy you want to put it together, that Frederick Anderson gets compared to even look across the ice at the Columbus goaltenders. Corpus Allo had one bad game. He gets swapped. Merzlikens had one bad game. And then he got injured and he got swapped again. It, like, why even get a guy like Jack Campbell? Why even pay a premium, premium assets to get a guy like Jack Campbell and not at least have him push Anderson? Because it didn't even seem like he was getting pushed. Anderson knows he's got the net. And, like, you cannot let in. Anderson is a, he's supposed to be steady Freddy, and he is steady through most of the game. But then we go back, we go back to the concept of moments. And in that, in that moment, the Leafs were pushing. They, they, were, they, they were demolishing Columbus on, the, you know, on possession, expected goals, and just normal straight-up you know, binary shots. And then that goes in. And how many times have we seen that? How many times have we seen that in elimination games? I can think of, I can think of them off the top of my head. Um, you just, it's just not good enough. It's just it, it's unacceptable. And at this point, anyone who is, is on the – you know, the – Leafs should, you know, keep Frederick Anderson, sign Frederick Anderson, pass this contract. Get off it. Get off that train right now because it's not happening. And I know they couldn't score, and the team – and Anderson should be furious at his team right now. Like, they, the fact that all these guys are cashing huge checks to score goals, to do one thing, which is score goals, and they gave him zero in a game where their season was on the line. Yes, it, it's, it's terrible. But at the same time, your goaltender cannot, again, 
be the second best goaltender in this series and you can and you and you consistently expect to win just can't happen so i again i don't know what to say like i don't know what to do with this he just everything with the leafs always has an asterisk with it anderson was great but they lost you know it, it just yeah i don't know strong stronger than previous postseasons. Yes. But again, second best. Again, second best. And, and it all comes down to that. Does that not just sum up the Leafs? Like, stronger than, than, than last postseasons? They, they came uh, I don't even know if they were better this postseason than last, to be honest. I don't think we saw a game, like we saw obviously amazing comeback in game four. But when they went into Boston in game five and, you know, completely surprised everyone with what was a complete performance in that game game five in Boston last year and came back with the chance to win in game six. And that was really where they lost the series, their inability to close out in game six. I think we didn't see that this year. We didn't, I don't think we ever saw a statement. And that brings us to the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to big picture items. And before I get the boot here at Scotiabank Arena, I saw the, the word urgency used in our chat a few times. Urgency. Mm-hmm. Were the Leafs, did they show enough urgency tonight? What, like, I don't think it was a lack of trying. No, was wasn't. there enough urgency in this game? I think there was enough urgency from certain people. I think that, like you said, the nuclear line, they were buzzing all night. That was, that was domination. That's exactly what it should be. But that line makes roughly the same amount as all 11 forwards that Columbus dressed tonight put together. And when, yeah, and, and when you put that, like, it shouldn't be this close. It shouldn't be this close. It's the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yes, they have, a, they have a decent defense. Yes, they're good on the penalty kill. But you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're spending $13 million over the salary cap so you, can, so you can stuff as much offensive talent into your lineup as the law allows. And you let the Columbus Blue Jackets shut you out twice in a five-game series. And, the, and even to get to five games, you had to pull off a, a, a comeback that was like to the decimal point minuscule in terms of chances for you to pull off. This was, they were flying by the seat of their pants this entire series. And, but this entire season, this entire season, they were, look how, look how Florida went out and the Leafs were grappling with them to get into the playoffs at all. They didn't even get in the playoffs this year. This is not the playoffs. This is a Stanley Cup qualifier. They're, this is the, the Leafs, the Leafs streak of making the playoffs is broken. So it's, I, I don't want to say that there was no urgency, but because there were a lot of times where, you know, you, like players were trying. I think Austin Matthews had a phenomenal series. I think this should establish him as, like, if there's any talk about Matthews choking or Matthews not showing up in big games, that that person should get their hockey card revoked because they clearly are not watching. But I think, there, I think for certain players, there was definitely a lack of urgency in big moments because it comes back to moments and the Leafs do not handle these crucial moments properly. And there are certain players that I think we're going to talk about in the big picture items a lot more that just clearly were not clearly were not handling that moment or at least didn't step up to that moment the way they need to. I'll make it short because I just got the five minute warning and I believe that it was more like a leave now five minute warning. So I'll make yeah. it quick. Uh, I believe that they were urgent, but they weren't comfortable. They're not comfortable in an urgent, you know, mindset, if that makes any sense. They can't be comfortable in that urgency at all because they know now the consequences Mm -hmm. and the history and everything that builds up into this. They cannot be comfortable in in those moments. You see guys like Morgan Morgan Riley was trying tonight. 
if you don't oh. think Morgan, if you don't watch that game and think Morgan Riley wasn't trying to will his team to victory, then you don't know what you're watching. But it's 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 pretty simple. They've got enough guys that are trying, and there's another group that's trying, but they're just running around in circles at that point. I mean, it's almost like they they cannot funnel that energy into something meaningful and impactful because of everything else that surrounds this, and because they're running into a brick wall over and over and over again with the, with the Columbus Blue Jackets and previously two strong defensive teams in the Boston Bruins and I guess the Washington Capitals we can lump in a little bit from way back when. But when, you, when it's about – you can be urgent all you want, but if you're running into a brick wall over and over and over again, you're not going to do it. You've got to find a de- another way by that. And the Leafs did not find that in five games. And it's going to mean some pretty con- – it's going to have some consequences. Like they cannot bring back the same team. No way. And it's going to be a busy summer, not even a summer, a busy fall and a busy off season and a long one with an indefinite return. We don't know when the Leafs are going to play their next game, but there's going to have to be a lot of decisions made from now and until then. Part two of the postgame podcast, the last postgame pod of the season, because the Leafs wasted their second life and lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets in game five, three, nothing the final. Okay, Mike, let's tackle some big ticket items. It is possible still, I think, I think to win a series scoring less than two goals per game, even in this new NHL. But it is not possible, not at all, mm-hmm. when you pay four guys that play the forward position, $40 million, half your cap tied up in guys that need to score. That's just not going to cut it. So the obvious question then, after a fourth consecutive postseason loss, this one not even in the postseason, uh, I guess, in yeah. actuality, in the, in the final 16. Uh, is what the Leafs should do with their big four. Is it time for a shoe to drop after another playoff failure? It's tough. It's, it's, look, there's a lot of reaction that's going on right now. There's a lot of instant sort of reaction. And, and that was my first, uh, my first instinct as well, is to be, you know, someone needs to be traded in this big, in this big four. Um, Mitch Marner is obviously the, the name that has been floating around um, the Twitter sphere a lot most after the game but it's it's actually refreshing it's actually really refreshing for it to not be Nylander this time but no it's uh yeah I, th- I think that yeah you're right you can't win when you have half a cap tied to one player or to sorry to four players who then get shut out in an elimination game and look the stats will show that Mitch Marner was producing in this series but he was not even in the top five of the best forwards on the team. He was, you know, I would say a a negative uh, value player in this series. And when the chips mattered most in these, and again, it circles back to moments when the chips mattered most in this moment, he was nowhere to be found. And this was someone who spent an entire half season in summer demanding money, demanding a new contract, demanding to be paid among the league's best players and specifically to be paid in line with the Leafs' best player who did the opposite of what he did and showed up definitively in this series. The, he, look, it's one year into his deal, really, so I don't, there's nothing you can really – I don't think you, you can really trade him right now. I think that, I think that, that kind of conversation is, is a bit outlandish at this point. I really don't think Dubas is, is the kind to, to act that, that kind of irrationally. But you're, play, you're paying a guy who doesn't score goals – $10.893 million a year. And you do have to factor in the, the, the negotiation. You do have to factor in, you know, 
how how he positioned himself and how he managed to get a contract that in in reality is probably 1.5 million or 2 million more than he should have gotten and at the end at the end of the day is this someone you want to build a team around because we now have four straight years of him kind of disappearing and he definitely disappeared in this series disappeared through a lot of last uh, last year against Boston too i I think Mitch Marner, Mitch Marner is now on the ropes when it comes to his reputation as a Toronto Maple Leaf. Mitch Marner now has to come out whenever next season starts and have the year of his life and show up in, it doesn't matter what the regular season, show up in the playoffs, show up in moments, be the kind of marquee player that you said you were for an entire summer and took your, your childhood team to the wall for. Because right now, all you have is playoff failure to show for it and a disappearing act. So he needs, he needs to show it. And he was probably of that. Uh, he was not probably of that big four. He was far and away the most disappointing. I mentioned in part one that there's going to have, there was consequences for the Maple Leafs losing in the playoffs last year. That was Nazem Kadri was the, was basically sacrificed because of partly what he did. I would say mostly what he did, mostly, uh, yeah. but partly because of a, 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 you know, a, a hole at the back end, many holes at the back end that was trying to be filled. So he got himself into some trouble with what he did, obviously, and he, I guess, ran out his welcome in Toronto for that reason, but it was also to get help on the back end. Now, that's not going to happen with Mitch Marner. It's not going to be a, you know, you didn't show up and a reflexive move to run him out of town uh, or to fill up, fill another spot in the roster. He is, he's sort of beyond that. But what he is, is a player that's not worth the money he's being paid. At all. So you're going to have to find a way to to cover for that to make up for that because if you're going to pay Mitch Marner this amount of money there's very little chance that he's going to live up to that even if he plays at his best the best Mitch Marner is probably not worth that he's he's not one of the top 10 players in the league he's not one of the top 20 players in the league he's probably not you know I don't want to grade him on exactly where he lands but he's he's not you know in the upper echelon in my opinion of players in the NHL certainly not worth uh, eight-figure salary. So they got to make up for that a little bit. Uh, and, and it's certainly on the, in the playoffs, it changes, right? Because it's a guy who's going to put up points. But mm -hmm. if you're not going to play a certain way in the playoffs, you don't have to be Kyle Clifford out there, but you have to find a way to overcome some adversity and get it done regardless of what the situation is. And they haven't been able to do that. But this four, as it stands, deserves another shot, in my opinion. There's a, you mentioned the circumstances with Martyr coming in him pressing the Leafs for as much money as he possibly could, squeezing them. That wasn't a great look on Marner. And I think it definitely affected his season. He was late to training camp. He was, he just didn't have a great start. It never really fell into place for him. He, he, he dealt with a lot this year. Uh, and that's no excuse for him, but I think they need to get him into a spot where he's, you know, coming back without the distractions and having a full year under his belt. This team this is their second go around as, and they, they had that problem before with William Neither. So there's been distractions, right? It's no excuse, but we're at the point now where it's, okay, maybe it's the last kick of the can because you've had your opportunities. You've been together for so long. You've all gotten your money. You've all gotten paid. Now there has to be results. So while I don't think that there's going to be that reflexive move with, with Mitch Marner, even with a flat salary cap and more challenges that that's going to uh, bring up for the Maple Leafs organization, I, I don't believe that that change is coming. There are changes coming, sure. I don't believe it's going to come with the four because then you're also admitting your mistakes if you're Kyle Dubas. Mm -hmm. We you know we have the we can and we will, the, the promises to get Marner done, the promises that they're going to win, this and that, right? 
they have to tr they have to basically exhaust every resource to get there. And the fact of the matter is, they came into this season with a flawed team. They made mistakes. Yeah. It was a flawed team. It was a flawed team built around these four. So the four aren't the biggest problem. They are certainly an obstacle and something that's going to make it very challenging to build a championship team just because the resources elsewhere are just not there. But they have to put their best foot forward here. They didn't last off season. They have one. They should try again, obviously, uh, to, to make their team better. But they have to try again around this core, even if it's going to be even more difficult to make the team as optimal as possible from a roster construction standpoint uh, because of all the challenges, the, the flat salary cap, and the, and the fact that there are going to be some players just moving out and moving on, and it's difficult to get good players in uh, in, in the summer or what will be the fall this year. No, you're 100% you're right. This is a flawed team coming in right from the get-go. And it was a flawed team that was banking on being able to – it was banking on their strengths being able to outweigh their weaknesses. And their strength was scoring, clearly. They have – like, you look at their, at their roster on paper, and this is a murderous row. Murderous row. This, should be, this should be a team that steamrolls their opponents. You have Austin Matthews and John Tavares on either the same line or different lines. You have Mitch Marner, William Nylander, Casper Kapanen, you know, clearly Andreas Janssen, you even had Nick Robertson coming in here and scoring goals. Like it is a, your fourth line, you have a guy like Pierre Engvall who could probably, you know, on, on any team's top six finish with a 20 goal season if he's put in a position to really be an offensive focal point. Like you have the depth and yet when the chips were down, it was nothing. You got zeros, you got like you got zeros across the board. And you're right. Like, I don't, like consequences need to happen and it's not going to be something like, like Mitch Marner's getting moved out as, as much as, you know, I'm starting to get, I'm starting to weigh like a little closer to that. Like I'm starting to think like, I don't know. I don't know if this guy's long for the team. I think that, you know, that no one's going to act irrationally. No one's going to, Dubas is, is a very trust the process guy to a fault. Like he's a trust the process person to a fault. He, the process on whatever the process was on, on, on uh, Cody CC. Clearly that hurt the team. Whatever the process was on Tyson Berry, hoping he was going to round back into form instead of dealing him at the deadline for any kind of asset, you know, that, that clearly came bit them, bit them in the ass, really. Um, but Marner is, like, next season is going to essentially determine whether or not he is a Leaf for potentially the rest of his career or if he finds, you know, gainful employment somewhere else. Because one more playoff exit like this, one more, you know, dis thing of disappointment, with the money that is invested in this team, with the advantages that this team has, this team has every single time that this team has had a flaw or something they don't like, the GM has gone out and catered to them. They didn't like their coach. They went and fired the coach. They needed a veteran. They went and signed a guy in Patrick Marlowe. This is not a chronological order, but still. You know, you, uh, they needed a backup goalie uh, because they were, they were blowing leads. They went out and they got uh, Jack Campbell. They needed a, you know, a sturdy defenseman on the top end. They went out and they got Jake Muzz. They needed some toughness, a guy to kind of show them the ropes. They went out, they got Kyle Clifford. Like how many times is this, they wanted their money. They got their money. How many times is the GM supposed to cater to this team before they actually reward him for this investment? So, and, and a lot of them have, like, I would say Marner and Tavares are um, definitely not Marner. Matthews and Tavares have absolutely. They were, they were two great players this series. I know that you weren't super high on Tavares, but I thought that I saw a lot from him. Nylander was invisible. And, and Marner, who was making, you know, four, almost $4 million more than Nylander, was even more invisible. Like, it's, you cannot win when your strength, when you, when you have flaws and your only path to victory is to try and kind of double up with your strengths, and your strengths don't even show up to the plate. So it's, 
there are a lot of questions. There are a lot. This is going to be a busy off-season, summer, however you want to call it. We don't even know when the Leafs are going to play their next game. But this is going to be a markedly different team, or at least on paper. And how they do it within the, con- within the constraints of their cap situation, that remains to be seen. It'll take some wizardry. And I really hope that Dubas signs a defenseman that shoots right. It doesn't matter who it is. The bar oh, it does is matter, though. It does matter who it is. It does. No, it does. You're right. It could be another Barry or CC. But, like, they, they also they bet on those moves. They, they bet so hard on those moves, and they lost. Tyson Barry is going to go down as one of the worst acquisitions in modern Leaf history. And it's not even because of who he got traded for. It's because of the expectation and how much they valued him in the construction of their lineup. They essentially wanted – they essentially thought he could play – his value could, could be, you know, a top-pairing guy. He had to be sheltered on the third pairing in a playoff game. It's, it's, it's pathetic. It really is. I think my biggest off-season storyline or, or thing that I'm going to be watching is where does Kyle Dubas admit that he's made a mistake? Where does he concede here? Because I think we've already seen in this season, Kyle, or, uh, Mike Babcock being fired was not his mistake. That's not, that was his, that was his that was solution to what's going on. That was a victory. Mm-hmm. But where he has admitted that he's made mistakes this year with his actions. He brought in Jack Campbell because he tried to pay a goaltender $700,000 and he and Michael Hutchinson kept losing games. He brought in Kyle Clifford because he finally seemed to admit that this team can't go gritless. It needs something. Mm-hmm. It, needs a, it needs a player that can at least ha- uh, show a different dynamic, show something, stand up when it needs need to happen, throw a big hit when it needs to happen. We didn't see too many of them. I'd love it if we saw a little bit more of them. I don't think Kyle Clifford completely did his job in this series. He didn't. Uh, we are going to see him concede that he made a mistake with Cody Cece at least, because I, I'm sure they're not going to resign him. I, I, okay. I just assume that he will be, you know, tacitly making that, uh, that, that sign that he made a mistake. And I, I don't think Tyson Berry's coming back either. No uh, uh, obviously, Alex Kerfoot complicates that matters. It wouldn't be, you know, volunteering that he, he, he did make that error in that trade. I don't think we'll ever get that as long as Alex Kerfoot is around. Um, but the, the mistakes have to come somewhere. Like he's got to admit at some point that he's made mistakes because of what he's, what his next moves are with the roster, because this is an obviously flawed roster. So the changes that he makes this, this off season will indicate where he is in this timeline, or is he just going to run it back? Is he just going to go to the well with like, like-minded players in you know, limited defensemen uh, and just bodies that he's going to continue to plug in there and just spin the tires and go with the same thing? Or are you going to make that big move, whether it involves Mitch Marner or William Nylander? It doesn't have to. But is he going to get rid of a guy like Andreas Janssen or Kasperi Kapanen or uh, Alexander Kerfoot? Like, what is going to happen here? Where does he Where does he see this team and what's wrong with this team? Because clearly they cannot get over the same hurdle which is a defensively responsible, structurally organized team. This is three years in a row where they, are, they have reason to be legitimately disappointed. There was pride and hope in the team after they lost to Washington four years ago. But they cannot keep running this back and doing it in circles because they're running into the same brick wall over and over and over again. So we're going to see concession or some, he's going to admit mistakes in, in certain ways, whether it's just, you know, his transactions or so on and so forth. But we will see if his mindset has actually changed like it has with the goaltending, the backup goaltending, like it has with the lack of grit on the team with Kyle Clifford. 
what else is he going to do to change his team? And whatever he does to change his team, I think does somewhat admit fault because this isn't a team. This is a team that clearly needs a new dynamic. It needs some, it needs something else brought to the table. And until Kyle Dubas brings that to the table, I believe we're just going to get the same result over and over again. This summer is huge for the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't think there's any way around it. This is a flawed team. He built a bad defense. And there was no way they were going to win, even if they got by Columbus, because they could not withstand the loss of Jake Muzzin. Jake Muzzin could have been back, I guess, in game one. But it still wasn't good enough. It was not a good enough defensive core. They made two mistakes with Tyson Berry and Cody Ceci, and they were never in the end going to get past that. This was not a championship-level team because of those two acquisitions, in my opinion. And they made a mistake as well with, like, the entire right side of their defense was, I guess, at least in some regard, had mistakes mistakes attached to it because I think they made a mistake in extending Hall at the point that they did what like he was yes he was playing well and yes you'd like to kind of re-sign a player but they signed him at the height of his value and he was horrible in this series he was genuinely terrible they didn't have a single right-handed defenseman that they could rely on and they're and they're their second or they're either most reliable or second most reliable left-handed defenseman went out and to, to his point, I think what will, what will really be interesting for Dubas is whether or not he sticks with his guys because there are certain players on the Leafs that are Dubas guys. Marincin, for example, that's a Dubas guy. He stuck around way longer than he probably should have. And the fact that he's, play, he's still playing playoff games for the Leafs at this point is mind-boggling. You know, I, I really, like, there's, there's no reason for, for Martin Marincin, the fact, even the fact that he has a contract extension, to still be on the team next year. Like, and I know that, that we're, we're talking about, you know, like fringe kind of players, but clearly this fringe player came on and had a terrible series. Clearly, like there, there are so many curious, weird decisions that were made just to keep guys around, keep bodies around that just ended up being nothing. And you can't, you just can't afford to waste time. You're wasting, you've Austin Matthews for five years on your books, four now. Are you gonna, are you gonna waste, you, you wasted a year of that. It's done. You're never going to get that season back from Austin Matthews, that historic, amazing season back from Austin Matthews. And you, so you're, you're perennially in win-now mode when you have that, that contract on your books. And you're going to place the hopes of that on Cody Ceci, on Martin Marincin, on you know, a combination of, of, of you know, any number of these players, or Tyson Berry. No, you need, you need to build some stability. There are a million defenders out there that you can get on the bar, on the bargain bin market that can fill that that third pairing eighth defenseman role that are better and can and can slot into a playoff game and not look completely outmatched like he did there's so th- these are players that have very obvious flaws and i think this is going to be a like a somewhat Kawhi summer for the Leafs. i'm not saying that a like you know a franchise piece is going to be moved out but you can't run it back you just can't it's insanity it's doing the same thing over and over again and at a certain point this is back in my blogging days i wrote you know at some point, Dubas is going to reach a, cro- a crossroads, the same one that, co- that Masai did, where he has to think, okay, you know, we can, I- we can either, you know, be content with, with a moderate kind of amount of success, or we can make a very big swing in the hopes that it puts us over the top to the eventual, you know, top of the hockey mountain. And this is the moment. He's reached it now. He has, some, he has to realize, he has to choose about whether he's going to run it back and trust the process and, and, and believe in, in, you know, the, in, in his guys being able to put it together for, what, the third year now and get, and get the lease of the promised land. Or he can make 
big foundational decisions, changes that show the players that there is no, that there is, is, is no coasting here. Cause I think the Leafs got very comfortable, like you said, and yeah, I, I, it's going to be the most, I think this is going to be the most fascinating off season, however long it, it lasts, the most fascinating off season in recent Leafs memory, because boy, this team might look very, very different on whenever the, the season comes back. Well, there's two options. There's, there's the Kawhi route, I guess, would be, you know, involving a DeMar DeRozan, which would be someone be currently on the team that is not, not you know, holding them back in some regard. And it's an elite player, a max, uh, a max player, because DeMar DeRozan, I guess, was a max player with the Toronto Raptors. So it would have to be a guy that's making money for that to be, you know, a, mm-hmm. you know, a valid comparison. Now, I don't think that's the route they go this year. I think we've already talked about this a bit, but I, and I don't want to belabor the point too much. But what, happened, what needs to happen is some overhauling to the defense. They need to try and do what they attempted last year again, and that is to try and build a defense core without, you know, having to sacrifice something meaningful on their roster. I guess Nazem Kadri was meaningful, but you managed to replace him in the deal. But you're trying to, you're trying to build it around the margins. But it's, it's, you just have to do it more impactfully this year. You have to do it better unless you take that big swing with one of your, with one of your most important players. So, yes, it could involve a Janssen or a Kapanen or a Kerfoot. But it's, it, it might end up that it even has to be bigger than that. Like they could, ha- they could take these half measures, which is trade from the middle ground to try and get better at the, at the right side on defense. And it could still not work, right? This could still be the exact same team if they manage to pull off a trade like that. And they're probably going to have to pull off a trade like that because they're just too thin at defense to not do something that is at least of substance. Like something has to happen. You're not going to find three guys that can shoot right in free agency and just expect this to work. Like they have to make a swing, but how big is that swing going to be? I think it'll be a minor hack this year. And if then it doesn't work, like we're really talking about doing something substantial. Hmm. If, if it doesn't work, then then a player like Marner next year. If it doesn't work, then a player like Marner is gone. Like, it, but then if if we get to that point, then you've legitimately wasted a half decade of Austin Matthews. Yeah, That's which would be which would be criminal. That's why this is like it, it, what happens over the next. We don't even know how many months it's going to be, hmm. but what happens between now and the next time the Leafs drop the puck is just unbelievably important for the future of this franchise, the future of Kyle Dubas, the future of Sheldon Keefe, the future of Brendan Shanahan. This entire thing might hinge on what they do because Mm -hmm. then it is, because this is the last, this is the last probably kick of the can of this like current iteration. And if it doesn't work, then some obviously something has to change, whether it's players, management, so on and so forth. You can't just continue to do this each and every year. There's no way. Absolutely not. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. This is, this is the crossroads of the lease organization, at least of this iteration of it. If they can't put it together next year, then the, the universe has shown you that, this, that the way that you do business does not work. The way that you reconstruct a team does not work. The players that are in the building right now, they do not work. So we're The top heaviness to- does not work. Yeah, the that's top heaviness That's what work. they're going to figure out. If you, can, if you can do what no other team is doing, there's tons of teams with good players, many multiple good players, but no one has it quite like the Maple Leafs. So I think you're going to find out in the next, well, it'll be the next 12 months because we're not going to be playing into August next year. Mm-hmm. Well, we might be playing into July, but we're going to find out over the next 12 months if this can work as it is, because if we get to the fifth year in a row 
where it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. Then it doesn't work. There's like, no debate. Yeah. It doesn't work. Okay. I guess the next thing was, is it going to work with Freddie Anderson? One year after this, one year after this uh, left on his contract. So Freddie Anderson, like maybe the future of this core, has one more year to prove that he can be a difference maker for the Maple Leafs. We discussed him a little earlier. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of stopped you with your thoughts. I, I mean, I'm, I'm of the belief that, okay, this is still – this goaltender gave you 941 on this. He would, didn't have a great regular season. He now has support. I want to see the full year of Freddie Anderson and Jack Campbell working together and what that could mean for the regular season and eventually the playoffs. Uh, but then it would be – I would be reluctant, as I know you are, to be signing him long-term because uh, we don't know what the next five years are going to look like for Freddie Anderson. We, we know what he's going to do uh, more or less in this five years with the Maple Leafs signing a five-year deal way back when. Um, but I want to see what a proper tandem, what they can do now that they've finally been put into place. But then I think you just run out, run out the string and whatever Absolutely. happens, happens. And if he, if he, you know, wants to come back with the Maple Leafs and sign a short-term deal, you entertain that perhaps, but you cannot, if you're a smart hockey club, just give a goaltender that is probably past his prime at that point or right in the middle, a long-term deal or you're entering Sergei Bobrovsky territory and he's not a two-time Vezina Trophy winner like Sergei Bobrovsky, but you're entering that territory where you're just pouring, pouring money away because uh, this goaltender's shelf life, it is finite and you don't know what's going to happen. So this, this is obviously a big decision. uh, But if you look at, you know, Kyle Dubas's history and what this organization stands for, I just cannot see them giving Freddie Anderson that long-term deal after this. But I also can't see them moving on. I feel like this is a scenario where they go with their horse. They have their window. It should be open. It should, be, should have been open this year. should be open next year. You just keep running these horses out there. Uh, but you finally have a scenario, I think, where, it's, where Freddie Anderson has the best opportunity to succeed. And you should see if that happens. But that doesn't mean, even if it happens, that you should be signing him to another contract. 100% right. He, there's, this next season will be the last season of Frederick Anderson in Toronto. And if it isn't, then there are some serious problems and, and those problems will definitely present themselves uh, over the, over however long that inevitable contract extension is. You do not sign a goalie who is, you know, age 30 and above to a long-term extension that pays him decent money. And the thing is like, yeah, like you said, Sergey Rossi is a two times, you know, uh, he's a two time Vesna winner. Braden Holtby, when he signed this extension, he's a Stanley cup champion and a Vesna winner. You know, there's, Anderson is, is not among the league's best goaltenders. He may, maybe cracks the top 10 in a good season, but he's, he's around, you know, 14, 13, I, I think, of, of those 31 goaltenders. So he's already, you know, hovering around, you know, league average, maybe a bit above league average. And we've seen now what Frederick Anderson looks like when he's off his game. And yes, we would like to see the, the one year of the tandem for him to really get pushed because I'm of the belief that Anderson is very secure in the net. He thinks that it's his net. And he hasn't really had any legitimate competition until Jack Campbell came around, who's the nicest guy ever. And then it really put any pressure on him. But this so is, you, so you want to see Anderson there next year, I, just to clarify. Yes. I want to see Anderson there next year. I would like to see that tandem together. I think that, it, I think that you have a decent goalie and, and unless there another better option presents itself for cheaper, then you keep that, you keep those two and you kind of hope that, that, you know, that full season of them together, they, that creates some good chemistry, but it's the last year of Anderson in Toronto. It just has to be. And he's, you know, he, we've, he's proven now for four straight years that he cannot lead this team 
to a playoff series win. And yes, you know, we were getting a lot of comments on our live video that, you know, you're throwing Anderson under the bus, the defense in front of him is terrible, yada, yada, yada. Yes, that, the, that is true. But at the same time, at some point, you want your goaltender, when you're a team like the Leafs, at some point you want your goaltender to steal you a series. Or to steal you a game in a series. Not just a series, steal you a game in a series. And he's never done that for the Leafs. Never. And you, you just need better than that. If you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you need better than that. That's what the expectations are. That is where you expect your goaltender to be. And is it unfair? Maybe. But that, that's just the reality of what it's like to be a contender. So, yeah, Frederick Anderson, he enjoy it while it lasts because he's gone after, after this upcoming season. And it's for the best. The likelihood of that, sure, is more likely than this being the last ride this upcoming season for the big four. Mm-hmm. But I think both of them. Honestly, if, 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 if the Maple Leafs want to run a successful organization, I think you have to give both their goaltender and those four players one more chance mm-hmm. because otherwise you are literally just doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's amazing how fast it seems that we've reached the point where it is the most crucial point of this franchise, this, this generation, what, this will define them. What happens over the next 12 months will define them because they've dug themselves into this hole from a postseason perspective where they have to do, they have to answer right now, right now being the next 12 months or what was supposed to be this juggernaut in the making will have completely fizzled. We have reached the point where it is the, where everything could blow up and it could blow up even before the next, next postseason. but it is now critical. It is situation critical for this organization after four straight postseason exits, if there is mm-hmm. a benefit to losing this best of five series against Columbus, not even making the postseason, it is that the Maple Leafs have a lottery ticket. They have a one in eight chance of getting Alexi Lafreniere, which is absolutely insane to even say. Just absurd. Given where, given where the Leafs were two months ago, four months ago, six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago, just thinking that they could fall into this position it's kind of crazy in the fact that they actually lottery protected their first round pick after their deal with Patrick Marlowe. Uh, that is quite a bit of foresight on Kyle Dubas' part. I will give him credit for that. But they will be in the lottery mm-hmm. with the Edmonton Oilers. They're always in the lottery. Florida Panthers, Minnesota Wild, Nashville, Predators, New York Rangers, Pittsburgh Penguins, and Winnipeg Jets. I mean – this is not a group that anyone should have expected to be in here in this, you know, this situation where they're waiting for their name possibly to pull, be pulled up because there's a ton of bad teams and teams that deserve a player like Alexi Lafreniere that are not going to get it. But it's going to go to a reasonably good team, a team that could contend next year and be very good. Uh, do you have a preferred landing spot other than the Leafs? Because as someone who's a co-host on a Leafs podcast, I'm sure you'd like to cover Alexi Lafreniere. So aside from the Leafs, let's start there. And then we'll talk about what the implications could be if Lafreniere does fall for the Leafs. But first, let's go a non-Leaf preferred destination for you. There are two that I think would be great. One, um, in, on the Canadian side, would be the Winnipeg Jets. I think that it would be, you know, in terms of, I would like to see Lafreniere on a Canadian team. I know it's, it's, it's you know, national pride and whatnot, but I would like to see Lafreniere on a Canadian team. Um, 
in Winnipeg. They, he's exactly the type of player they need. He's dynamic. He's offensive. You know, he's, he's a, a franchise-changing player. And for them to get a, you know, a player of his caliber to build around for years to come, that would be, that'd be huge because, look, Line was supposed to be that, and he doesn't really look like look to be playing the part at this point. And maybe he can, be, maybe Lafreniere and and Line they can form the next dynamic duo um, moving forward for the next ten years or something in Winnipeg. It'd be great. The other one though, this is a team a lot like the Leafs, except you know they've achieved way more success than the Leafs, but have never been able to get over that final hump, especially on offense. And that is the Nashville Predators. And the Nashville hmm. Predators have. They, every year they've wanted they they're they've required to go out and get a Matt Duchesne type to really round out their offense, and then they actually went out and got Matt Duchesne, and they still got bounced before the playoffs, and they still had offensive problems. Getting a player, a foundational superstar center forward, you know, for for on you know a franchise face, they've never had a player like that at least up front. And to get Alexi Lafreniere, we saw how crazy. How absolutely absurd Nashville got when they made the Stanley Cup final. I, I need to, we need to see that when it's okay, when it's responsible for people to go out in the streets. Um, we need to see that on a near parent, on a near annual basis. And Lafreniere can, can do that. He can push them over the top. So those are my two preferred options other than the Leafs. But I just, it's not even that I want to cover Lafreniere if he comes to the Leafs. I want to cover the social media reaction if Lafreniere falls to the Leafs. Because that will be the most entertaining day on Twitter that's in, in the in the site's existence and that's the that's purely for content why i want to see Lafreniere fall to toronto oh yeah that, that's that's exactly why i wanted to or the oilers because it's it would be the I oilers mean, no. the oilers would be it, it would, no but it would be complete chaos in the most oh, entertaining what? thing it would be the most entertaining thing ever I, I i sort of agree with you i think you make a great point with nashville uh that is that you know that real number one center not ryan johansson who they have always sort of needed they've wanted and they frankly deserve a player like Alexi Lafreniere not because they're a bad team but because they're they're a good franchise they uh, they built it the right way I guess if you want to use that cliche but uh, I, they just never had that but they've always had a good team with a dedicated fan base and they play exciting hockey and I think that would be a great spot for him mm-hmm. um, but at the same time I'm not really interested in that <laughs> and I'm not interested in going to the Florida Panthers obviously no, that would be and I'm not interested in him and go into the Minnesota Wild, obviously. What's the worst outcome? I think Minnesota, uh, Florida is. Florida, for sure. Minnesota, close second. You might as well Minnesota's actually off. fun. Minnesota's fun, but he'd just be a lost obscurity. Um, I want him to land in a place where he's going to be prominent. New mm-hmm. York Rangers would be a good spot. Oh, man. I think Winnipeg Jets is probably my – if I could just place him anywhere, like my knee-jerk reaction would be Winnipeg because I just want to see that franchise do well. Yeah. And, I, and they have such a good collection of talent that it would just be overwhelming. Pittsburgh would be fun for the chaos because it might actually force them to do something even more substantial than they've already done. Mm-hmm. It might, you know, it might be the true definition of, you know, that generation turning over one more time. Not that Sidney Crosby's going anywhere, but if maybe if Kenny Malkin would suddenly be, suddenly be in play, that'd be pretty cool. Um, and the Rangers as well, just because he'd have that big star and it would put the Rangers over the top and in such a good position. Uh, but I do want him to play on a team that's going to be prominent. And uh, the Winnipeg Jets, while not prominent in league circles, you know, with, with you know, NBC wanting to put them on TV all the time. But in, in my world, Winnipeg Jets would be, would be sort of that perfect blend of him being on my television all the time, but also joining a team that would just be so much fun if they were able to get Lafreniere. But again, this is talking 
not about the Leafs. Mm-hmm. We, we'd obviously like to talk about Alexi Lafreniere, what he means to the Leafs if he indeed falls to them. So I want to ask you, yeah. what would Lafreniere do to change what the Leafs are going to do this summer if the Leafs do indeed come up with the right lottery ticket? Man, I mean, it, it, it gives them options. That's the thing. Like it, it, right now, it seems like there's a, it seems like there's so many options, yet there aren't. Like you're not going to trade a Marner. You're not going to trade a Nylander. Um, really, really, there are two forwards, essentially, that you can get value for that you want to trade right now, and it's Kapanen and Janssen. And maybe Kerfoot, but I, I would kind of want to hang on to him after the, the playoff series that he had. But getting Lafreniere, then you can start thinking, okay, well, we have him. He's making way less money than Marner. He's making a tenth of what of Marner's making, less than that. Can we now trade Marner? Like, can is it possible? Can we parlay that that money into a big ticket D? Can we can we spend that money in somewhere somewhere else if we get somewhat close to the value that Marner was providing on a guy for the next three years who's been making you know nine twenty five? Yeah, maybe it it, it it just like how getting Austin Matthews changed the trajectory of the Leafs rebuild. It changes, this changes the, if, if for some, in, by some miracle, and it's not really a miracle, it's a one in eight, one in eight chance, um, Lafreniere falls to the Leafs, it changes the trajectory of their contention. It changes, you know, whether or not they can make these, these bold swings that we've been, hypothet- you know, what is it, uh, being hypothetical about in this, in this podcast and, you know, and kind of shooing away and saying, no, that's too bold. They're not going to do that. Now they can start thinking crazy. Now they can, you get Lafreniere, you can essentially start thinking in NHL 20 terms and really kind of making these fantasy hockey trades. And because you're getting a superstar who's paid like, you know, uh, who's paid, you know, almost near league minimum, um, who's under team control and cost control moving forward, essentially for free without giving up assets. It gives you a wealth of options. So yeah, it, it definitely changes how they view this offseason they're they again they have two they have probably in a binder somewhere in the, in the offices you know the offseason plan and the offseason plan post uh Lafreniere and you know and and break glass and emergency whichever one kind of falls to the table what sounds better to you mm-hmm. four stars making 40 million or five stars making 41 million I like the five stars making 41 million to me. That's exactly what it would be. Assuming that Alexi Lafreniere is everything that he is hyped up to, hyped up to be, it would mean that the Leafs are now paying five guys $40 million or in and around $40 million, right? Five potential superstar players or star players. So it completely changes the dynamic. Yes, it gives them the opportunity to make a trade if they so choose. But what it also does is give you, it basically reduces the amount that you're paying all these stars. All of a sudden, you go from paying these guys, you know, an average of $10 million each to an average of $8 million each. Mitch Marner at $8 million sounds a lot better, right? Mm-hmm. So it gives them that, that opportunity to say, yes, we have this top-end, like, top-heavy roster, and you still have that. But now, all of a sudden, everyone's getting paid a little more, a little bit less, right? Mm-hmm. It all just works. It all averages out a little bit more. Uh, efficiently for your roster. Yes, they're still making that same money, but now you've got a guy who might be just as good or on the come up or getting to that point who's making $1 million for the next three years. So yeah, it opens up a roster spot or it takes away a roster spot, maybe to an Alex Griffith, and you can trade that $3.5 million and you can, and you can use that to help you out on the defense core. 
But what it does is just take what is a top-heavy roster and suddenly makes it all a little bit more manageable, at least in my eyes, or is that just how I'm trying to, you know, uh, trick myself into thinking that it would all be a little bit better if Alexi Lafreniere wasn't in the fold? Yeah, I mean, look, we're all, we're all doing mental gymnastics tonight. This is, uh, this is quite, the, quite, what, quite the hypothetical, you know, fantasy, you know, what, what will you do if you were the GM of the Leafs kind of night for everyone around, around the city, Toronto, us included. So, yeah, it, it, you're right. He changes, he changes the entire um, kind of trajectory and, and way that this team will conduct business moving forward. And, it, you know, it could be a reality. We, we're going to have to wait, you know, less than 24 hours to figure out whether or not the Leafs get – a generational superstar fall to just fall into their lap by complete mere chance. It would buy them time. Certainly it would buy oh, yeah. them time because all of a sudden they would have an impact, another impact player coming in. Mind you, Nick Robertson's coming in also yeah. on that less than a million dollars. So if you, if you have, lower. that's, that's your top six right there. The four guys making a ridiculous amount of money, each two guys that are criminally underpaid for the next two and three years, that seems a lot more manageable. But mm-hmm. again, we're talking, uh, we're talking about something that is only a one in eight chance that should never happen in the first place. But all of a sudden, because they have failed to get in the playoffs, getting Alexi Lafreniere is a possibility for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, wow. What, what a moment on Twitter that'll be if that comes to fruition. Be incredible. Yeah, it, it, it would, it would be a, like, it would be one of those days that you remember on Twitter. It would be like the day where Hall and Subban were traded, you know, two minutes apart from each other, and then Sam Coast resigned. It would be a day that you tell your grandkids about. I was, I remember on Twitter, you know, young grandson or granddaughter when, when the Leafs got Lafreniere, and it was wild. Maybe one day, Mike, you'll be able to share a, po- a story to your grandkids about a post-game mm-hmm. podcast you did after a Leafs series victory. Uh, for now, I'm not it, wasn't even, it wasn't even a legitimate series, but for now, mm-hmm. you do not have that opportunity. You're going to have to wait because, again, the Leafs lost 3-0 in Game 5 to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, we could wrap it up there. I'll give you the floor if you want to say anything more. We will probably have more thoughts on the Leafs moving forward. Uh, we don't know when the next post-game podcast is going to be because we don't know when the next NHL season is going to start. Uh, but we're going to have some thoughts on everything that they do in the offseason. It should be a very busy offseason. But I'll give you the floor one more time. If you have anything else, you have to get off your chest after what was another heartbreaking night. I just wanted to say, you know, thanks to everyone who's, who listens and watches us. Uh, we're still going to be going strong in, in the playoffs and, and bringing you that sweet, sweet content. But, yeah, it was, it was a, such a fun ride, you know, going with this team. And we'll, you know, hopefully be back next year with this and covering everything they do in the offseason. So, yeah, I just want to say to anyone who's, you know, dedicated time after a, after a game, you know, it's anyone who sent in, you know, those audio messages after the David Ayers game or, you know, anyone who – who really has kind of tracked along with us. And, I, I, you know, as the show's going on, I just wanted to say a big thank you. Thank you for dedicating any time with us and sharing your misery and your, and your elation and, and more misery. It's, it's been such a fun ride, and, and, and we've been very lucky to share it with you. Four months off for just five games and then potentially another four months off. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look forward to having our, our listeners actually listen to a post-game podcast because this is what we always wanted to do was give takes right after the game. So it's going to be a while before we're able to do that, but we're going to cover the games that are still happening in Edmonton and in Toronto. Uh, we're going to shift our focus a little bit and talk about the games that actually are going to matter for teams that don't involve the Maple Leafs. But uh, we'll get to that point when we get there, and we'll talk about everything to do the Leafs do this offseason. Uh, I'll let you sign off, Mike. Bye. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.